Teresa, hi and welcome to Rapid Hole Stories. It's good to have you on. How's your day been so far? It's been great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys. And I just realized it's probably the first guest we have on with a uh, royal title in her name. Um, but obviously, just <laughs> just probably get yeah. the site. Thanks for bringing that up. It has so much. <laughs> what's all that about then? Tell us about that. What's 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 this royal name thing? So basically, I mean, like I just mentioned, it has no meaning whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think the only meaning it really has is that I can kind of track down um, a lot more generations back than most people I know. And we come, we're from Bavaria, from, from Augsburg, okay. is uh, where my family originates. And yeah, they've been around for a very long time. And that's basically it. Have you ever looked back into your past in that in that sense? And uh, has anything fascinating come up? I know we're kind of getting off subject here, but I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, they were like a, a family that was quite like influential and mm. they um, built up a lot of or they helped build up a lot of infrastructure. So that's kind of interesting. But in general, I don't really like care that much about right. it but mm. it's just you know so far in the past that yeah i don't really think too much about it yeah it's all in the past now we just look forward now onto bitcoin right exactly <laughs> <laughs> no more authority no more you know little groups of power yeah that's, that's very true uh, welcome like joel said to rabbit hole stories um so we're interested in people's bitcoin rabbit hole story which means that we are curious about how you discovered Bitcoin. When w was that? And why is it you stayed in the space? And what is it you're doing now? So um, I'll let you just kick off, Teresa, and see where we go. Okay, quite uh, a lot of questions. I'm going to try to keep them all in my mind. So basically, I'm Teresa. Uh, I started my career in venture capital, um, then I moved into digital communications and journalism, and I worked for a Berlin-based uh, communications agency that was founded by the former editor-in-chief of Bildzeitung, which is essentially the biggest newspaper in Europe. And um, yeah, after roughly three years at that agency, I decided to quit my job as a communications strategist and consultant and focus on Anita Posh, her amazing project and Bitcoin journalism, basically. And um, I don't know, should I continue to the sure. second part? So sure. basically, I think there's like two parts to the answer of, you know, how did you start or how did you like get into Bitcoin? Because there's the part where, you know, I actually started educating myself on like Bitcoin and its potential implications going deeper. And then I think there's uh, the previous part that many people like, forget it's the previous years of like experiences and observations that kind of create the fertile ground that you need to like be open to something like bitcoin and uh yeah i think there was a lot going on that led to me essentially in 2021 really like digging deep so was it um a case of you discovered Nia Posh and then you wanted to learn a bit more about Bitcoin or was it you understood what Bitcoin was and you just wanted to work within the Bitcoin space? How did that work out for you? So basically, um, my now boyfriend uh, told me about Bitcoin like the first time, I think roughly three years ago. And I was so annoyed by it. Like, <laughs> just, it was like a constant topic. And I was laughing because I used to know like a lot of people that would have like the TV going on like 24 seven mm. in their living room. And I'd always be like, well, that can't be right. And then I went to his house and there was like Michael Saylor, Gigi, like all these, you know, when you first <laughs> get into the space, kind of crazy people that you just like watch and you're like, what is he onto? Like, this is just insanity. Right. <laughs> And then I kind of went like a like a, a child. I went to the complete different direction. I started kind of looking at shit coins, at like ESG investments, um, went into that journalism wise. And then I kind of intuitively landed back in the Bitcoin space. And I just started focusing more and more on that. But I didn't want to be like a 
a positive journalist on in like the Bitcoin space because I think like it's really important that journalists stay neutral as far as they can. And as much as there's so much negativity like in traditional mass media, there's a lot of like, you know, non-critical thinking in Bitcoin media a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. So I try to give people that did amazing projects and that were like, or, or amazing education, basically a platform with my journalism. And that's what I wanted to do. It's funny that your, your boyfriend was just listening to Bitcoin content 24 seven. And eventually you just sort of, well, what what's going on here? Um, it sounds very <laughs> similar to, to my household. Um, What's it like? What's it like at home um, or with your boyfriend? Do you often discuss Bitcoin? Is there like, do you just constantly run that dialogue between the two of you? Is it now ingrained in your relationship somehow? I mean, 100%. <laughs> um, I think it's really funny because like the, the longer we're together, the more like a, a Bitcoin standard also kind of takes place in the mm, relationship. Right. Even if you think about like, doing nice things it's like okay should we do that or should we stack some sats <laughs> which is i think very unusual for relationships um but i think it's even more unusual to like our friends and family because you know people go on yeah. walks with us and we just like put stickers all over the place <laughs> <laughs> brilliant or we just like we just talk we always find a way to you know bring bitcoin in because it just affects all all like spaces of life basically so it's easy to you know find a find a way in and i guess you're you're the uh, the funny couple if you are like at friends gathering i'm usually that type of person if there's like a banker sitting at the table explaining how good money printer is so if half of the table looks over to me and i'm getting redder <laughs> by the minute just ready to shout like bitcoin fixes bitcoin. <laughs> yeah or how ian does it he shouts it from his rooftop at work sometimes yeah um, that's true <laughs> but um yeah the funny thing is we actually will have um, your boyfriend on the show as well. Nice. It, it totally happened differently. Like he followed the channel. He, we engaged. I was like, hang on a minute. He's also from Germany. He's got the same name. Like Teresa told me. Like, I, like <laughs> I didn't want to write as the first in the DM. Like, are you Teresa's boyfriend? But yeah. eventually, we got but it settled out. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, try to keep it straight. So we'll hear the other side of the of the discussion as well. Um. Mm -hmm. But to get back to your rabbit hole story, you started in venture capital. Was that for a long period of time or was that just, you know, out of uni, you want to get a job, you look into finance and boom, there you land. Basically that, like it was, mm. um, it was me kind of trying to find my way because I've always been, I would say like the black sheep in, in my family. And I had so many different interests. You know, I started at, like, I studied at the University of Arts in London and then I changed my mind and I was like, no, you know, I wanted to have, I wanted to do something with finance. And then I went to a very famous, he's very famous in Germany. He's called Carsten Maschmeyer. And he like made a lot of money with insurance um, years ago. And he basically created funds in, in Munich, Berlin and San Francisco. So I went for one year, I kind of went through his funds and I like assisted all the investment managers and it was really interesting, but I just saw, you know, how also venture capital is just flooded with money and like, it's not always like the best or not always, but it's very rarely the best business models that actually, you know, win. So after a very short, brief time there, I was like, no, that's not for me. So is, is, is venture capital in the sense like you just throw money at stuff and hopefully something will stick? Is that like the general premise of it really? Kind of. I mean, that's kind of how it felt. And it's if you look at companies also in Germany and like uh, in the recent years, like Gorillas, for example, that was valued, I think, I'm pretty sure a unicorn. And it's never um, it's never been um, like it never made money, actually, realistically, but it's put a lot of money in marketing and it grew very fast. And essentially, after a very short time, it couldn't keep its promise anymore like its promise was we'll deliver food in 10 minutes and then after like a very short time it was like 20 minutes half an hour 45 minutes and 
you know, like the the essential promise or USP couldn't really be, you know, kept the promise. So there's a lot of such examples. I think that's a very obvious one, mm. but um, there's just a lot of money being flooded in business models that are definitely are not sustainable. And I don't think mm. it needs someone to be very, very like financially literate to understand that. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's been that way for a long time, and I hope it's not going to continue that way for yeah. much more. I'm just trying to think how under a Bitcoin standard that might fix that problem. Um, I suppose you know if you've got an indefinite supply of money that you can just flood the system with, um, maybe it's going to change it for the positive in that regard. But I don't know if you guys have any ideas about that. I definitely think so. I think as in almost everything that we'll do, we'll think about. Um, the implications more if you have money that's essentially gonna like gain value you'll think about where you're gonna spend it and not just as an individual but also as a corporate or an investor and even as someone who's gonna like start a business because you know you you don't want to take the risk if the risk is that big essentially and right now the risk is I mean, there's risk, but people have gotten so used to like being in debt and like mm -hmm. um, just like spending money they don't own, basically, or giving people money that they don't own. So um, I definitely think that a Bitcoin standard would change that. Definitely. And I think it brings in all of the positive incentives. So we know you have to do the proof of work to get anything done, whether that be Bitcoin mining or your day job. And... In full disclosure, I do have some venture capital clients and what's always shocking me is, you know, just this attitude, like we can fix this by throwing, I don't know, billions of dollars at it. And you kind of go like, well, yeah, with some things you can, but 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 definitely like you're not going to get um, teachers replaced by AI, for example. That is one of the, the hottest things in the AI landscape right now. And like, yes, for maybe certain things like, you know, programming and, and learning how to deal certain things, but um, like still having a classroom where kids can go into. We saw this after COVID, right? Like there were huge waves in um, kids problems and psych problems because they were yeah. not attending school physically. So all of these benefits come together. And I think a Bitcoin would look at this and go like, right, how can we take our kids out of the school, <laughs> out of that system? We, we had that talk with Daniel Prince earlier this week, right, Ian? And um, try and come up with a solution under a Bitcoin standard where they still have to do work, but they learn stuff. And the venture capital road is just like throw money at it and hope it sticks. Um, or maybe you know the right people. That's also one of the biggest part in venture capital. Yeah. Um, if you have the right introduction, life usually is a bit easier. Um, but to get from the start of your career to the next portion of your career, you then moved from finance into um, journalism, essentially, or into the media world. What was that transition like? Did you find similarities between the two or did you find like, oh, this is a completely different world and I can open up and try different things in here? No, for sure. There were like a lot of similarities because also mm -hmm. the, the the media part that I moved into was basically uh, ghostwriting for corporate CEOs of corporates and politicians and um, and doing crisis communications for them. And there's just so much, you know, lies at the base of almost all of it that essentially it does have many connections. And I just got so sick of like getting people out of crisis or corporates out of crisis that they got themselves into. And they essentially only could get out of them because they again could throw millions of dollars into professional communications agencies that, you know, can get them out of that. And basically everything, if you're already a critical thinker and most Bitcoiners are, and they kind of question media, but if you're a part of media and you create narratives and you use like data tools that obviously are evolving and you can really find out what people care about, how they talk, and you can adapt people and stories to that essentially your way you have like a free way of manipulation and uh, yeah that gets to you I mean if you're not like a I think a kind of twisted person after a while that really does get to you it's more of a case of it's not what you know it's who you know and <clears throat> who who's able to um, 
get you what you want. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit sickening to hear about it, to be honest, in the way they operate. And I suppose that the, the fiat system encourages that sort of behavior within people and within organizations and institutions. Um, and I mean, remember you mentioning during your initial discussion about your whole story about neutrality. Um, and obviously we're in a situation now with the legacy media, um, they're not exactly neutral in their uh, approach, uh, especially when you've got, uh, particularly in America, where you've got a lot of the news outlets uh, sponsored by the likes of Pfizer, perhaps, um, you know, mm -hmm. so they're, they're obviously being funded by, and their, their whole organization and business model is based on um, the fact that they're getting, you know, that their only existence is via F uh, Pfizer, uh, giving them money. Mm -hmm. So obviously they're not going to speak against Pfizer. Um, how how can we move forward in journalism? And I know because we spoke to Joe Nakamoto recently about his journalism and his journey within that. And, and what's it been like for you now? You're working within the Bitcoin ecosystem and how it differs from the legacy media. Well, actually, I'm I'm not in Bitcoin media specifically. I am in like a partly legacy media because I think that's very, very un like important. And I think that a lot of Bitcoiners underestimate like the power of commercial traditional media because it's basically, you know, preaching to the choir, <laughs> like speaking in, in Bitcoin media. Everyone already, you know, to somewhat agrees with your views, but um, getting like crucial information into places that normally wouldn't read or like people who wouldn't just come in touch with that kind of topic. Um, I think that's really, really important. And of course, as you mentioned, like uh, funding is a, is a big problem when it comes to like being neutral or, or not. But also it's not just that. I think the, the heavier problem is actually time and it's like um, if you see if you look at german media for example there's so many big like um, publishing houses that are breaking down and that are like firing thousands of their employees and like journalism my my grand uh, my yeah my grandfather sorry he was um, editor-in-chief as well in a big um, german newspaper and I remember him having journalists that were really experts in specific categories and that just doesn't exist anymore. Today it's like, oh yeah, you take care of, you know, the family part and then maybe you do some finance as well and mm -hmm. uh, and then you talk about gardening like three days later. And um, like the lack of expertise, but also newspapers having to compete with social media is like the death of deep research. And it's like mm. the, the death of, of uh, true and, and good quality information because they not only have to compete with other newspapers, they have to compete with your best friend, like getting a new puppy. I don't mm. know, a celebrity couple breaking up. So their headlines are getting like more and more aggressive. They need to um, you know, like pull an audience and try to survive. And in the digital agency that I worked in, I had like loads of journalists that just couldn't survive on being journalists anymore. So yep. now they literally write Twitter, like they write tweets for CEOs of corporates. Um, and that's how they pay their rent. And I don't think that's how they imagined their journalistic life either. Do you think in part that's something to do with the information age that we're living in and the demand for constant sort of gratification through media in some way or am I just thinking too deeply no no 100% but it also for sure has a like there's a problem with you know how media has become digital without the business model like transforming which actually you know bitcoin offers a great potential that unfortunately journalists haven't fully understood yet because mm. value for value could truly change the way that people write that journalists write and research and also would change you know the the power that corporations have with their funding but i think it's going to take a while until they understand the value of that and and i guess to get back to ian's earlier point um way to not make it political ian <laughs> with choosing the sponsor of the media outlet um <laughs> but fuck it sorry um yeah no worries it, it is viable i mean that was that was the big portion of their money especially in the states um but i think 
with Bitcoin, we also have to be cautious about these things because you see this extremely with the likes of Bitcoin Magazine, for example. And I know a lot of the people working there. They're great people. You know, they're very open. You can you can have a beer till like 4 a.m. at a conference with them. Um, they're American, so they're not used to European beers. They're like quite <laughs> drunk early on, but you can have a beer with them. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, they run into the same issues like, hey, we need advertisement to keep the lights on. And what is it that you then do? Are you suddenly critical or are you suddenly trying to sort of fit everything into one compartment and show that, you know, Bitcoin is so bullish and all of these things? Um, and I think it's like you said, Teresa, if we are not um, cautious there and we're not um, capable of seeing that issue, we run into the same things. And uh, you see this in a lot of, you know, social media personas now. You see more, and I'm not meaning this, Literally, you see more dicks online who are questioning the Bitcoin narratives. Like, is it good that a politician suddenly wants to back the, the dollar with, with Bitcoin? Is it good that, um, I don't know, venture capitalists show up at Bitcoin conferences? And all of these questions that attack Bitcoin also on a protocol level, but on a social layer, I think are inevitably good in the long run. Because, um, yeah, if we don't survive this, then Bitcoin's not in it for the long shot, right? Mm hmm yeah and um, what was i going to say <clears throat> sorry and um right on right on the back of what you're saying there joel i was listening to a twitter spaces today at some point and uh, they were talking about bitcoin magazine and um their seemingly unwavering support for the likes of um rfk junior and the the narratives that they're putting out there so yeah you need to obviously be critical slay your heroes and sort of just question the narratives that are being put out there not only by legacy media but by big now recognized uh, organizations within the bitcoin ecosystem as well yeah it's true yeah i mean 100 percent. but i think that that's like inevitable yeah. because i think mm -hmm. when you know like there's this new kind of system and almost parallel society that's like forming mm. and i feel like there's always going to be like a little bit of like fiat mindset, like finding mm. its way in and then it being kind of corrected again. But I, I do think like I'm, I'm quite surprised about, um, as you already mentioned, you know, how many Bitcoiners um, start like glorifying almost uh, politicians at, mm. at this point, you know, when um, just a couple of months ago or just a while ago, it was a very different like mindset that was put out. And the same goes for like uh, personas, you know, I see so many people saying, you know, like Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing team and Bitcoin doesn't need a spokesperson and Bitcoin, you know, doesn't need like all of these things. And then they do create themselves or they happen anyways. Mm. And um, and I see that there is a lot of people that like start glorifying people. Mm. And I, there, I do see a little bit of a danger in that because it's like when you, again, when you put yourself kind of under someone and that's what happens when you, you know, glorify someone, you, yeah. you, I don't know, you put yourself like below them and you kind of stop thinking for yourself again. And that's, I mean, the essential part of, of Bitcoin, you know, is like being independent and like also taking responsibility for yourself um, yeah. And sometimes I feel like when there's specific personas, people just like throw that mindset out of the window and are like, amen to whatever you say. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I always think that, you know, I, what I always say sometimes is you're open enough to have understood what Bitcoin is and its fundamentals and the importance and significance it can bring about in the world. So you was open mind enough to actually get it and understand it. Why are you not now still open minded about the reflecting upon yourself and how you've come into this space with your politics or with your ideas about how the world is run? Because I've had to actually literally rethink every aspect of the way I see things and test it against Bitcoin. Um, and I'm constantly in dialogue with, you know, Joel and other friends in the Bitcoin ecosystem, just sort of trying to navigate through this new weird world that is bitcoin yeah and um it's disappointing and disheartening sometimes to um see people echoing the um behaviorisms of the fiat world that we are trying to escape from um and whether you've come in from a, a right 
left-leaning ideology or left-leaning ideology. I think once we're all in a Bitcoin standard as such that we can actually, it will naturally work itself out because the left and right narratives are mainly driven by the bipartisan uh, politics that are out there in the world. And I'm, I know I'm rambling, but that's that's just me thinking out loud. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, for sure. And I think it's it's more than that. It's even like uh, contradicting because uh, like there's some people that really they they're so sensitive to like um, narratives that were placed to basically divide people. And and they they understand them in like in some categories, and then they're like completely oblivious to them in other categories. It's like, for example, if you take you know gay pride and you you take uh, corporations or political parties, you know, using flags and like you know like being super supportive, and then you see people that you would actually think are very bright and they understand you know like also power dynamics, and they then think that it's something that like uh, authority is putting on people rather than actually what it really is, is corporates and politicians taking advantage of something that was created by the people. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's really disheartening. And mm. and then seeing other people, like especially like Christian, Christian Bitcoiners, Christian American Bitcoiners, mm. Mm. there's, there was one tweet that really like stuck in my mind and it was like comparing rainbow flags with Nazi flags. And I've it's just, this, yeah. and it's, and it's, it's not just really dumb because like, as you know, it wasn't just Jews that, you know, were persecuted at that time. It was also homosexuals. Um, but it's just such a twisting of like history and information and people mm -hmm. do that who have quite a big reach. Mm -hmm. So what I think, you know, uh, Bitcoin is so important to to minorities, especially or to people like, I mean, global south, but also people living in the Western world that just don't have it easy in our society. And if I think that these people are open to Bitcoin and they study that they, they start studying it. But then they come across these very intolerant Bitcoiners who just have a very big following. Mm. I just I can't imagine how that must make them feel and how that must make them question everything that Bitcoin stands for, because it's exactly the opposite. I mean, Bitcoin does not discriminate and Bitcoin does mm -hmm. not care about you know what you think also essentially and who you really are. It doesn't, it just doesn't care. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are taking themselves serious, a bit too serious and like using it to exclude other people. And I don't, I don't agree with that. And it's not even just a flag thing. It's sometimes I feel like if normies look from the outside in, mm. every other day on Twitter or on Oster, I read like last week I read that shaving cream is a scam and like sunglasses are a scam. And I kind of <laughs> went like, what? I mean, you know, at, the, at one point, like, okay, you could go like, yeah, I can dry shave and all of these things or just with water or whatever. Tried it, it but like, and it leaves a rash, so. <laughs> okay. There you go. We already have a discussion. But like, you know, sunglasses are a protective element, for example, from UV light, from the sun. This is just literally uh, physics and science. Um, and then we have the other things with the flags, but I've also heard this with minority groups in Africa. And we'll probably get into your work with Anita just after this, mm -hmm. um, where you kind of go like, yes, it's okay to question stuff that's being put in front of you. But I think at one point you sort of have to do a hard stop and think like, okay, does it still make sense? Or is there an other, maybe better form of the argument I can go into? Funnily enough, that's what I learned in journalism school um, but it's yep. not being practiced these days um and i think a lot of the bitcoin um the bitcoin hype space and that's probably a minority in itself because i think a lot of other bitcoiners think like we do who think like what the fuck's going on um mm -hmm. they could really profit from from that mindset like hey i've got new information let's go in let's research it because those are the guys who put out tweets uh, don't trust verify but they never do it right yeah. um yeah. So I think that's that's sort of one of the dangers we'll have to look out or watch out for. Because um, then you're right, you get into these guru glorified positions where people just blindly follow statements, which, uh, you know, people are human. People make mistakes and people say stupid shit. Um, 
and if you don't hold them accountable for it that's that's where it gets nasty in a mm. in a heartbeat i noticed as well that anita um on her twitter profile she's got the rainbow flag there just um proudly dis- in, on display um and she does a lot of representation for the lgbtq plus uh, communities and um I, I was having a chat with her in prague and uh she was telling me the amount of um abuse that she gets sometimes um for displaying that flag and for being part of the queer community and uh it's so disheartening to hear things like that when you know bitcoins for everyone and unfortunately you know um we have to take the rough with the smooth with that but uh, i'm just hopeful that in the future um as the fiat mindset dissolves over decades that maybe the human race can be a little bit kinder to each other um but with with anita um obviously you guys are working hard together um trying to get the signal out there for bitcoin um in africa and globally as well because obviously it's having an impact uh, in in the uk and america as well so can you talk to me a little bit more about what your relationship is like with anita and what sort of stuff you're working on together yeah for sure um so basically i mean i i started like i started working for her as a volunteer um i just was like um coordinating her translators because she has a a a flyer which basically step by step uh shows you how to buy bitcoin and how to store it and it's been like translated into hundreds of languages um and so i was doing that and at some point i just texted her and i was like okay i really want to work for you full time and after a while like she she was like okay let's try it out and then i kind of got into or i started understanding like the scope of the work that she does and it's so so much and you could never see or understand that in like the first glance so she basically i mean she has btc podcasting uh the value for value podcasting platform then she's written her book you know um learn bitcoin she has obviously bitcoin for fairness or she founded bitcoin for fairness and um and now she's launching in the end of july she's launching a digital learning platform called crack the orange and it's going to have um free education but also like the possibility to have a structured course and to also get a certificate upon completion and what i find most interesting or most important is that you can have live sessions um with anita as well and like uh, video so it's like text video and live sessions and i think that was my biggest problem when starting with bitcoin because you know like you you don't know where to start you don't know where to end basically and so this is really really important but um mainly i'm trying to get her fundraising up as well like that's the long term term goal because she really all the work she does is through donations and um she didn't want or she she doesn't want sponsorships because she's just seen too many times uh before that people or organizations just you know do things that you maybe don't agree with and then she doesn't want bitcoin for fairness or any of her other projects to kind of be tied into that so it's very hard uh for her being on the ground in in africa and at the same time organizing all of these projects and like getting them getting them like pushing them forward um so yeah it's been amazing to to be able to kind of support her in that it's an interesting point you talk about sponsorship as well because I know there's a couple of um people within the Bitcoin ecosystem that were sponsored by various companies and they've turned out to you know really let the ecosystem down and um that's tarnished their reputation in in some degree as well. Um so yeah that's an interesting uh, way to move forward and I think there is a, a huge future in the value to uh, value for value content and Joel and I are actually trialing it now as well we've got a QR code down below that anyone can zap us some sats and various other ways for people to do that and uh, it's so far paying off isn't it Joel Yeah I mean the, 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 it's really funny that you get these notifications at the most random time ever where you kind of look at your phone you go like Oh, wow. That's when people watch our videos. Interesting. Um, 
but it's also the most simple thing. Like I really appreciate if if people if someone is sending like ten thousand sets, great. If someone is just sending one set, I appreciate it as well. Because mm-hmm. to think to watch content, take out your phone most likely, or maybe if you watch it in the browser, you know, click somewhere um, and do all of these actions to actually send sets. That is a big step. If you look at how we consume content these days, because we just literally do this all the time, right? Um, So it's really interesting to look at it from this perspective. And I think the more people get used to actually validating great content or just um, uh, great messaging in general, the easier the adoption will be. And, you know, who knows? Potentially you can replace these sponsors because if you think about it, even if you have a company who likes your stuff, instead of saying like, hey, my sponsor package is X, Y, Z, you can tell them like, no, I'm not accepting it, but you have the option if you want to support. There's the QR code, there's the link, there's whatever, to send those sets, send it as an appreciation, and they can still book it in as we supported the show, and the show can sort of stay independent. Because, mm-hmm. you know, taking sponsorships, we're not there yet where, you know, you get flooded and bombasted, um, so we can't buy any nice things. <laughs> we can just pay the hosting and that's it, but that's okay. Um but yeah, once you get to that stage where it's serious money, I think the value for value model is just simpler and um, way less complicated for both ends rather than the sponsoring route. Um, yeah. How how are you guys doing it? Is it simple as you know QR codes up and donation pages, or are you also thinking of evolving further in the value for value system? I mean, at the moment, it is exactly that. It's um, it's like QR codes, and it's um, it's like staying with that at the moment. But actually, uh, right now, it's still a bit difficult. I mean, you guys would know. To like in short term, you can't really think that it's going to like help you, you know, keep the the show or whatever you're, you know, trying to keep afloat with afloat. Um, but for sure, it has like a big meaning long term. And I also think that people who do truly understand Bitcoin now, they know that even if it now is maybe like very, very little amounts that get sent, obviously the value will increase. So it's something that you kind of are optimistic about for the future. But um you know, like value for value, but also Bitcoin only donations um, has been quite the topic for me and Anita, because I admire that she's such a, you know, maximalist and that that's what she, you know, wants and that's what she believes in. But at the same time, you're just excluding like a majority of people that maybe are interested in Bitcoin and maybe they want to support your content, but they don't know how to, you know, use lightning. They don't know how to buy Bitcoin even. And, um, and yeah, so we've been (laughs) discussing that for quite a while because I think that as pure as the intention is, you do need to, um, to kind of protect yourself or like find a way around it until you can really truly survive mm-hmm. of, uh, from Bitcoin donations or like value for value. Because I imagine that's also an I- well an issue. That's also a, a talking point in your work because you've left the the corporate world, so to speak. You've went independent. You do write for some um, traditional media outlets still, which is great. We just um, is it available in English? I think it's German only, right? The um, telecom thing. Yeah, yeah, but like they can use a translator for now. For once, the English people have to use a different language. They should get around it, um, which is very important. But how are you treating this? Because I imagine you're sort of in between both worlds because fully living off Bitcoin is very hard unless you work for a, you know, big Bitcoin company who's mm. got enough funding and these things. Um is that something you personally have also taken a look at, even with maybe, you know, freelance clients to say like, hey, you can sort of pay me normally, continuously in euros, shitcoin's going to zero anyway, or you can sort of do, I don't know, a 70-30 split where the remaining 30% you can contribute by downloading a lightning wallet, by having a, a little um, supply ready for me to get paid this way. Um 
Because I think it would be a low-key, cool way to also orange pill these kind of people. Because then 100%. they went like, oh shit, how do I do this? Yeah. 100%. Um, the problem is, to be fully honest, I mean, especially with the German clients, um, mm. you know, they they have problems even digitalizing themselves to like the, the minimum amount. So getting people like that to actually, you know, put that theory into action and doing that is very hard, but it's definitely a goal of mine. And I, I try and I annoy people wherever I can. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's still like in that corporate world, um, it's still difficult. And like you said, you know, it's and a lot of Bitcoiners ask me how I can still kind of participate in that fiat mm -hmm. world to a certain extent because i know a lot of bitcoiners that have broken up with their family and their friends mm -hmm. and and like basically their whole old life and i think that's kind of like arrogant in a way because mm -hmm. we all were there at some point and um i think it's really really important to kind of you know reach out your hand to the other side to like bring people over and yeah one way for sure is also having clients pay you uh that way but my my first and foremost goal is especially now focusing on anita but also with other bitcoiners is like bringing them into traditional like mass media and not just mass media and like you know podcasts or newspapers but also to like big conferences and just places where they would never appear usually. And I think that's where like the, the main value of my, my work lies. What's the Bitcoin community like where you live and um, are there any meetups that you go to? I mean, I haven't gone to any uh, Berlin-based meetups, but I've been to different German uh, conferences and events and it's always been very like warm very welcoming i think that every bitcoin community kind of has that in common but it's very different to the us as well i mean when you go to miami and then you come back and you go to switzerland or you go to for example ploching um where there's the i don't know if you've heard of it but there's the princess ploching the bitcoin hotel located there and there's a lot of uh german meetups that like you know like um, they're hosted there. And it's funny because I used to go, I remember as a child, there's some hotels that you go to and there's like a Bible, um, you know, in the next to the bed. And there we have the, the Bitcoin standard. And uh, I don't know, correct me. What's the book by Knut Sanholm? Oh, everything divided by 21 million. Exactly. Mm. And that that's next to it. So basically <laughs> these spaces um, are incredible and actually block um, block uh, Munich, but now also block Switzerland that's coming up. Um, it's like an initiative where they started out in Munich in like a big shopping mall and they basically rented a room and they made it into an educational space and they had podcasts there but also like workshops, I think, and um, like loads of different kind of attempts on, on Bitcoin education. And I really, really enjoyed the space because people there are still much more grounded, I think, mm -hmm. than uh, they are in the US. I don't even think that, you know, Americans mean well, like mean any bad or any harm, but they're just all about, you know, big things and show. And I think in especially the places that I've been in Germany, it's very much like focused on Bitcoin and less on, you know, the people. What about you, Joel? What's, what's your take on um, the Bitcoin community in the likes of uh, Germany and places that you visited over there for you? I would uh, say pretty much the, the same thing. So if you speak to a lot of the, the plebs, the German plebs, or just the, the Dach plebs, from the three countries um there is a common knowledge that like hey we might not agree on everything but like you know fuck it we're in it to make the world a better place um there's sort of these sub things like some of them engage in the human rights thing um obviously because anita for example is, is austrian so like you get that close connection there as well they're very much fan of her they're trying to support then you got others who are straight up um how can I say this politely? 
They're maybe a bit more extreme in the sense that, you know, they, they go onto Twitter, they respond with the politicians. They're very, they're very much um, playing that game, which is fine as well. Like you need both ends of the spectrum. And I think you just have a lot of normal people in the middle who don't even want to work maybe in Bitcoin, but they want to contribute. So they go to events, they volunteer in these things. So it's a bit more family friendly i would say whereas i had the same experience in the u.s like i I love my american bitcoin friends but at one point i go like guys there's democracy in like 189 other countries in the world on paper i know there's always the big debate like what is democracy and how far but like you have not invented it that's the number one thing i think a lot of them get wrong and you know especially for us as europeans and um obviously the uk counts to that as well because um, it still well, is Europe as a whole. I'm not getting involved The other thing is a social construct, yeah. but you are European, guys. Like, you're not Americans, you're yeah. not whatever. Um, you have European values, and I think that's what's often missing, and it kind of creeps into the cultures as well. Because I think, Teresa, it's, it must not be easy for you at times to be on Bitcoin Twitter and kind of read these things mm. where... Um, I think especially for women, it's a very hard time grasping a lot of the stupidity gets gets put out there. Um, and there's very much lacking context because unfortunately you also have strong women in the space who then agree on these things. Again, the whole thing with like big followings and you sort of have that snowball effect from there. Um, but what do you think? Will that be different in the next five years? Because I feel there's a shift happening and more and more other people are standing up. Um, I mean, like you said, there's the occasional like Bitcoin influencer woman who like goes into that whole gun loving homophobic direction. But at the same time, I see, especially with like, um, I mean, I wouldn't call it an organization, but like a movement like Le Femme Orange, for example, Mm -hmm. um, which is a um, like it's. I don't know how to 100% describe it. It's like an edge. They do educational events and it's made by women, but it's for everyone. And um, I just participated. I just hosted one. That's where I, I mean, I met you, Joel. But um, I just like, um, I hosted one and it was amazing. The energy there was incredible. And it was so like, it made me so optimistic to how women are approaching the space and what Mm -hmm. they're kind of bringing in from like a technical perspective to a social perspective. But also, you know, Anita is like the best example. I mean, she just really, I was interested in Bitcoin and I thought it was cool, but she made me like a believer basically. Mm -hmm. And she showed me a side of Bitcoin that wasn't just about money or making money, which isn't bad at all. And that's hundred percent fine. And we all need to take care of our finances. But like putting lights on all the things that Bitcoin can do for people that you don't really think about on a day-to-day basis and how it can like transform the, the or shift the power um, dynamics in the world, that really changed my mind and like converted me to Bitcoin basically. And when I see women like her going on stages and discussing with you know, men and with experts in the in the field, basically, and it being such an eye to eye conversation, mm-hmm. I have a lot of hope because I know that, you know, little girls or, or women who are maybe interested in the Bitcoin space see that. And it's not just like girls on Twitter being like, I'm not I'm unvaccinated and I'm not on birth control. And that's why I'm a perfect match for like right. a, a man. Yeah, because. I think that's, again, such a misunderstanding. They're like Bitcoin influencers, but then they try to like cater to this man-made or like, you know, human-made dynamic of, you know, how people should behave and what they should follow and what they shouldn't. And then Anita is just like a beacon of hope in that space. And so are other women like Rachel Gaia, Lina Zeiche, I mean, um, Deborah Rea, like I can count so many that at first I was clueless about, and now I mm. meet these, you know, powerful, intelligent women, and I have a lot of hope for the space. And 
it's even crazy if you see the young guns coming up. So I just today spoke to someone from the Gen Z um, Bitcoin movement, mm -hmm. very much um, enthusiastic. Um, Ella Hall, I think is her name, or Hall. Um, and like, she's from Cornwall, so like not far, well, is Cornwall far away from here, Ian? Like now my geography comes up. I mean, <laughs> depends on what you, you know, it's it's about a six hour drive. Okay, so far away. It's on the same island, let's put it yeah, this way. Yeah. Um, but she's very much empowered to see like, hey, for example, I've seen um, how, you know, X, Y, and Z in my life happen and I want to take uh, over control of it. Mm -hmm. In Prague, we had Lauren Prince speak on stage. She's like 12. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously she's not at the stage yet where you can say, um, you know, she can probably go out fully on her own, but the interest is there. And you see this over and over happening. So I think... The more time passes and, you know, also the easier Bitcoin gets in many things, easy to understand, easy to use, um, easy to get people on. Um, these kind of people are really going to bring in a big wave. Um, and I think at the end of the day, they don't care where you're from. The only thing they care about is how can you contribute to the space? Mm -hmm. And if you do it the right way, um, everyone's happy. For sure. But I do think at the same time, like there, there's been over the last years, you know, because these spaces are so male dominated, there's like a specific like energy that just is created and um, man musk I everywhere. Know... Sorry, man musk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's like, it's, it's interesting to see also if I think of myself like five years ago, um, I definitely would have been more like resistant in going into the space because of the things I would have like heard and I would just think it's nothing for me. And, um, and also like in the first conferences that I've been to, like there's a lot of moments where I actually, I went around uh, the conference with my boyfriend and I was kind of like ignored, kind of like the you know, um, accessory of my boyfriend. Right. And I know that from the corporate world, you know, like I've worked for CEOs that for the first hour in the meeting, they ignored me until they understand I know more than everyone else, you know, in the room about that topic. But it was very evident in the Bitcoin space that that, that exists as well. So I really think like you just said, time is the only thing that can change that. Like with, you know, adoption, like getting further and further, there's going to be more women attracted to Bitcoin. Do you think Bitcoin is a good way to deconstruct the patriarchal um, system that we've we've been living within? Um, and if if For so, sure. what is your Bitcoin um, end goal in your mind? It, where where did, where is Bitcoin going, and how would that change society for you in your mind? I mean, I don't want to make a, a price prediction, but what I'm what I'm sure of, I mean, what we're all sure of is that it's um, disinflationary money and that that can solve or definitely, you know, um, close the gap a lot, the gender gap that still exists in the world. And there's a lot of places where, you know, women can't own property, they can't open bank accounts, they can't really own anything. And um through that, obviously, their options are very limited and money in our time and the world that we live in is just it equals to to freedom and it equals to how it, independent you basically are. And just looking, I mean, I don't want to go into like extreme countries where obviously the situation for women is is horrific and we don't even have to like it would take so much time to elaborate on that. But even in Germany, for example, you have you know, a lot of women that are drawn to care jobs, like in the first place and care jobs in general are like paid way less and worse than, than other like industries. And then obviously when child or children, child planning comes into the picture, it's basically like you have the choice. Do you want a family or do you want to earn money? Do you want to have a career? And if you even if you have a you know a partner that earns a lot of money you cannot you cannot earn money in the time that you're taking care of children or you're giving birth and at the same time you can't earn like you can earn and you can't really like save anything and you and there's no skills that you're like practicing or evolving and 
I've heard so many stories in the past or not just heard, I've seen them of friends of my mother's, for example, that were focusing on being a good mom, a good wife, and that were like um, doing the whole family thing that has been preached to us for years and years and years. And then they were left at some point. It doesn't happen to everyone, but it's a sad reality. And they had nothing. They had no skills to earn money, like I just said, and they had nothing saved up. And I think if you work until you start a family and then you actually have money that increases in its value and that other people that can work at the moment, they save their work and their their you know monetary compensation in it, you benefit from the productivity of other people while you're producing new life, you know, and long, yep. long term also, um, for sure, um, leading to more productivity, basically. And I think that's one of the essential changes that I see and why it's so important to women. It's just, it, it means freedom and it means mm. freedom to everyone, but especially women need that. Yes, and, and, and it combines two things. I mean, just look at divorce rates and the amount of money being printed in the world. There's a correlation there. That's quite interesting because the more free money gets put out into the system and the more pumped up it becomes, the more uh, the less fragile relationships essentially have become. And there are numbers of studies out there. If you Google this very quickly um, for the listeners, you'll find this immediately. Um, and I believe on a sound money standard, you would... Uh, you would probably not solve the issue because there's always going to be bad timing in any relationship or in anything, but you would definitely see it going down again compared to what we had, for example, on the gold standard and Bitcoin being superior to gold. Uh, here's a shout out to our gold box. Um, that would never happen or that would happen way, way less. And it's really not much. I mean, think about it. People in uh, Women in Iran can't have a bank account they physically can't go out the way they look. They have to cover up. Otherwise, they get stoned and they get killed. And if they manage with their resource to get onto Bitcoin, I think a lot of the women that now think, shit, I can't do it because, you know, I don't have the financial knowledge or, or, or um, you know, the, the, the best thing you always hear, like my husband does it, right? I think they have a big shot of actually doing it, getting other people on board and, you know, driving forward in the future and not worry about these mundane things because the hardest thing is to start and once you get going you actually pick up quite easily um so yeah good on that end that you a shine a light on it and b that you're willing to also be on the forefront because i imagine if you go to conferences now with your boyfriend he gets an elbow every time someone doesn't recognize you right i mean not really because okay i i just at first i was like pissed off at it and mm. then i was like you know, I have a mission here and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, my like the value of my money is going to increase whether you like me or you're not, whether you mm -hmm. respect me or you don't. It just doesn't matter. And I just give them kind of the benefit of the doubt. I just think they mm -hmm. have so much to learn. And in, in, in some ways they know so much and in others, they're just lacking a lot of like um, skills, like emotional skills. And that's okay, you know. I mm. I I have other things to do than to, than to think about what they think of me. Okay, cool. But also, what you said just sorry, just to what you said before, and actually, I mean, Bitcoin really does enforce like human rights and uh, even like freedom mm -hmm. freedom of speech because at the end of the day, you know, money is a is a form of language, and you can when you support something financially you basically share your opinion on something mm. and if you can't and at the moment in in places you can be persecuted for you know date donating to a specific group or organization that maybe is considered illegal for for a certain time and even you know what's legal and illegal can change all the time so having money that you know is very very difficult to trace uh, and impossible if you do it correctly um, is is just so valuable. Yeah, most definitely. And um, it, it really shows that <laughs> 
at the end of the day, if we do it right, money is neutral. And if money is neutral, you know, we've succeeded because then there's no interest in, oh, he's got enough or he doesn't have enough for all of these silly fights we have in between because that's when you can actually build the further and outer skirts of society because, like, money is the base layer, right? <laughs> and we need to get this one fixed first before we continue. Fix the money, um, fix the world, right? Exactly, exactly. And um, speaking speaking of this, um, Teresa, we've we've come up with a little idea at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually would ask our guests, like, "Hey, what is like what one article or book or something you've read you recommend?" But we thought that's getting a bit silly if we ask it every time. So we came up with the idea that we often hear Bitcoin is inevitable. You know, all roads lead down to Bitcoin, and all of these statements. But it's actually hard if you then come up with everyday things or words to prove that all roads lead down to Bitcoin. So at the end of every episode, we now ask our guests to make us a story or tell us a story about a word they're given and somehow link it back to Bitcoin. Um, Or if it's already part of Bitcoin, how that could be enforced on a Bitcoin standard. Um, And because you are the first guest and because we often Mm -hmm. spoke about things like uh, freedom, uh, getting to know the human rights and things, we came up with the word opportunity today. Should be cool to get the story together, but could you maybe make something of it to link it back to Bitcoin or how there is enough opportunity in Bitcoin to make people bullish on a Bitcoin standard? Mm -hmm. Give me a sec. Yeah, no worries, no worries. (laughs) Little girls now have the opportunity to build the future that they want without being dependent on anyone, basically. Nice. I like that. That's a perfect ending. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa, it's been fascinating going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole with you. Thank you for joining us here at Rabbit Hole Stories. Um, It's been uh, an important episode, I think, and I'm looking forward to this one going out there. and narratives like this um, are much needed in the space. So thank you once again and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, guys, and hopefully see you soon. See you then.